Uh, well, good morning. My name is Trev. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at Mission Hill. Uh, it's a delight to share God's word with you this morning. We're in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a wisdom book. If you don't know where it is, look in the front of your table of contents. I can't believe I had to say that, but, or Google it, whatever you want to do. Uh, but Proverbs is one of the great books of the Bible. It's some people's favorite book, but it is often misinterpreted. And uh, that's why we're going to spend the better part of about three months in the book of Proverbs. Uh, but because it's so rich and so wealthy, and some of you are not used to this idea of finding Jesus in the book of Proverbs, but he is there. We do have to search for him, but he's there. And so uh, what, we, what I want to do is I want to read out probably, uh, I would say, maybe a summary of kind of the first nine chapters. And so this is the, the teaching information part that I want to just get out of the way. Uh, that Proverbs is, is it, you need a reading strategy that, that's not like the other strategies that you read with. And that is Proverbs has probably been collected over a long period of time on post-it notes, scrolls, back of hands, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And believe it or not, it was written before Excel. So it's not organized quite like we would think it to be organized. And therefore, we think that the best way to approach Proverbs is to understand it by grouping the themes together rather than simply reading it out chapter by chapter. Now, that's not everyone's strategy. Some would slightly disagree. That's fine. But we feel this may be the best way to understand how, uh, what Proverbs is trying to say because so many Proverbs uh, are badly taken out of context. And uh, that's because they don't have all the information. So I'm going to read uh, the, the, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are... Uh, essentially not quite like the other chapters in Proverbs. They're longer. So Proverbs are really short, and th this, these are longer. They call them discourses. Uh, but the summary chapter is probably chapter 9, and so I'm going to read that for you. But then I'm going to be jumping around. So hopefully I hear a lot of page turning, maybe writing down some of these references, because I'm going to be drawing from all over uh, the first nine chapters, but I want to read these out for you. Chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the high places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. 
She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks scent, she says, oh, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You notice how I read that, right? You notice how I feel about what's being said here. That Proverbs is laying out for us this giant metaphor, and sometimes you can't tell whether it's a metaphor or it's advice. So there is a lot of stuff in chapters 1 and 9 that talk about a seductress um, temptation towards adultery uh, and whatnot, everything that goes with that. And, And that actually is a metaphor still, and yet at the same time, It's a metaphor because the reality is such an illustration of the reality or or of the abstract concept of foolishness. And so you have in Proverbs 1 to 9 this basic plan of what it means to either follow God or to not follow him. So I, I, I refer this as binary. A friend of mine introduced me to the word binary. It's a computer word, right? It's one or zero. Those are, those are binaries. There isn't, like, something in between. It's not like, eh, it's like one, zero, gray. No, there's no gray area. It's you follow God or you're foolish. That's the paths, the two paths that are laid out here. It's a giant metaphor. That's why you'll see all along chapters 1, follow this path. Look at your feet when you're following that path. When you stumble on the path. Uh, she's alongside the path. She's at the end of the path. You, you see that because there are essentially two choices we have in life, in life's journey. We follow God or we don't. There isn't something in between. We follow God or we don't. And you can tell what the author thinks about which path you should follow and explains the realities and sometimes... You, you, you think when you're reading, what? It, is, is the author exaggerating just a little much? Like, is foolishness really the path to death? I mean, do you say that? Hey, kids, just so you know, if you keep listening to that music, you will die. I did that in a youth group once. I did. I'm no longer a youth pastor. But I remember the kid at the very back. Remember that? Very good at the back. I was like, you keep listening to Eminem and you'll die. And he's like, what do you mean? (laughs) What I meant was you keep infiltrating that foolishness in your life and it leads to death because it leads you away from God and away from God is death. Okay, you see how harsh this can seem if you don't understand that the author starts here, that's why Corey spent one whole morning on talking about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't get that, nothing else will make sense in Proverbs. You can't add it into your life. You can't have all these little maxims. Fearing the Lord is, is not a maxim that helps you on in your success in life. It is a statement that says... This is the most important thing you will ever do. But if you don't start there, everything else, even though you would follow it, is foolishness. 
even though it talks about how important wealth is, if you make all your money and you don't understand that God gave you the money, you're still being foolish. This is why it won't look wise to you unless you first grapple with this idea of trusting in the Lord. And we're going to get into that. That's the sermon within the sermon for those who are new to my style of preaching. But here's what I want to do. I want to break up our morning three ways. I want to talk about, first of all, uh, where, uh, where we f- the location of woman wisdom and woman folly. That's how it's described. That's a metaphor. God isn't a woman, but the metaphor is very helpful for us because Solomon was a king who had way too many wives. And I think he wrote this in some ways saying, I wish my father would have sat down with me and told me these things. So when he had his sons, he basically said to them, hey, when you're looking for a life companion, here's what you're looking for. Okay, if you can get in that mindset, uh, you can glean all kinds of things from Proverbs. So don't get your mind that this isn't, is it, <laughs> is it, these aren't words for women. Believe me, women are all over this book. And there's lots of great wisdom. But don't get hung up on that as a principle. It is a metaphor that's meant to be understood as a message to a young man about who should he marry. Who should he marry? Who should he be the most intimate with? Who should he invest himself the most with? Woman wisdom or woman folly? And so I want to, first of all, talk about where do we find woman wisdom and where do we find woman folly? And then I want to talk about her qualities. And then I want to talk about why that matters. So first of all, where to find wisdom, wisdom or foolishness? I think we have some help there in chapter 9 right away. We have wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Now, if you know your Bible at all, you would know that the numbers uh, seven stands for perfection, which means that wisdom has the perfect house. Uh, You notice then further down, she calls to other women from the highest places in the town. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, every deity is in a temple on a high place. Every single one. If you go to the Middle East, you know what they're fighting about? The temple on the highest place. They're still fighting about this. Because this is where deities reside. All deities. All temples are up high. Right? Where's wisdom? She's where a deity would be. She has built herself in the very place that God said he resides. Now, if you go back to chapter 8, you'll actually see wisdom was there at the beginning. Wisdom actually is what creation came from, not the other way around. Wisdom wasn't created. Wisdom was there, and then creation was created out of wisdom is how it's described in the Bible. You also see uh, that wisdom is in the marketplaces. She's at the city gates. She's on the city walls. She's in the streets. What's this trying to say? (laughs) Wisdom is everywhere if you're looking for it. Wisdom is in commerce. Wisdom is in family. Wisdom is in relationships. Wisdom is in military. Wisdom is everywhere if you're looking for it. 
And there are things that happen in all of these areas that illustrate and point to the wisdom of God. But one of the shifts that's gone on for me is that I'm starting to realize that some of these cool things that we see in nature, they're not about us being able to say God is cool. They're about us being able to be marveled that God is brilliant. They're, they're, it's, it's like God's way of saying, hmm, I'd like to get the abstract concept of I'm awesome to you, so how about I create the hummingbird that defies everything about gravity and the way birds work. I love the fact that we can't really explain how a hummingbird does what it does. We, we know what it does. We just can't explain why it does what it does. We can barely explain how it does. And part of me wonders if God's like, see, I told you. You don't think I'm awesome? Go out and check your bushes. Look for hummingbirds. You tell me who would come up with that besides the most wise person in the world. It's everywhere if you're looking for it. It also means that it applies to all areas of life. In other words, the fear of the Lord isn't something that's good for Sunday morning. The fear of the Lord helps you understand which businesses you should buy, which businesses you should work at, which businesses you should purchase from. It applies to all those things. It tells you what kind of person you should marry, how you should raise your children, how you should handle your money, what you should say when someone says something dumb to you, what, someone's, what you should do when someone betrays you, how you should respond when you're angry and when you're not angry. Wisdom applies to everything. That's what we see in that metaphor. In Proverbs 3, 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. One of the reasons why it says that is because it says, in all your ways, he has a way of making your path straight. He can make your path straight in every way. Everything you're traveling on, he can do it. Every single thing. It's not, this isn't just a call to prayer. This is an explanation. It's everywhere and it applies in every way important for us to understand that actually wisdom isn't nearly as hard to find as we might think it is. What really matters is do we have the lenses that we need to see it? The second thing we see about wisdom here is that it's found outside of us. Ooh. Right here is the split that I just made from culture. Okay? Did you catch that? Soon as I said wisdom doesn't come from you, it comes from outside of you, there are gazillions of people that would say, I'm out. And it's the decision you have to make this morning. You, you, you won't get any further until you understand that or you understand that that's what the Bible says about wisdom. It's outside of us. I love the illustration of a lamp post. Uh, in, in a preaching class once, a guy said, there's a drunk, and he's leaning against a lamppost. And what's he using the lamppost for? And he said, you can use the lamppost for support, or you can use it for illumination. You can use it to support what you think, or you can use it to illuminate what you don't have. And, and that's wisdom. 
That's the light of Jesus. You can, use, you can try to use him to support your own ideas. It doesn't work, FYI. Or you can use him to illuminate that you don't have wisdom and you need his. That's, that's the invitation. Uh, there's no way to get wisdom without first repenting. Did you know that repentance is wise? It's not, this isn't just a belief. This is wisdom. Chapter 9, verse 6 says, leave experience behind. The word repent means to change direction. We're, we're talking about path here. And it's saying, wise people who are going the wrong way leave that path and turn and go this way. That's what repentance is. You see, repentance is actually in Proverbs. Repentance is wise. Thirdly, wisdom is found at the beginning of creation. I would jump back to 822. I said that already. Wisdom implies that everything that's created was done so wisely. Do you know why the planets work the way they do? Just because isn't good enough, is it? It's because it's a wise way to do it. Do you know why we have gravity? Because there was a wise person behind that idea. Do you know why a hummingbird does what it does? Because there was wisdom behind it. Do you know why there are structures of governance within church and family? Because there was a wise person behind it. Do you know why we're supposed to respond to with love when we are shown anger? Because there was a wise person behind it. You know, some of us have this idea of the things that God lays out, the, the things we're supposed to obey as if God had went, hmm, now how do I make it so that I take away all the fun, all the pleasure, all the joy, I make them do things they don't really want to do, and I make them do things that are totally fruitless in the end. I know, I'll, I'll, I'll create marriage. <laughs> you, th you think God did that? No? No, he didn't. He did it because it is actually the best way to do it. Not just because he wants you to obey. He wants you to obey because he has something else in mind. And sometimes he asks you to do something that you don't understand because at this point in time, you can't understand. Have you ever asked your kids to do something and just went, you know what? Just trust me. Right? Just, just trust me. You're like, but, but I want to cross the street without holding your hand. Just trust me. <laughs> it's not wise. You're going to get run over. And, and I don't have the time to clean up. <laughs> it's like, well, 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 can't I be in relationship with whoever? Can I sleep with whoever? God's saying, just trust me. Just trust me. It's not worth it. There's baggage there that you don't want and you don't need. It's not good for you. It's not helpful. When he says, be part of a church family, do you know what he's saying? Trust me, you need it. He's not saying, oh my goodness, those people are too comfortable. I don't like that. No, he's saying, there's something wise behind it. 
There's something there that he knows that you need even when you don't know that you need it. That's why it is important to first go back to the original. If you don't fear the Lord, if you don't trust the Lord with all your heart, you can't move forward in this whole wisdom process. And so honestly, some of you just need to, you just need to grapple with that this morning. You just need to hear that. You know what? I need to hear that over and over and over and over again. And I think after 47 years, I'm finally getting a glimpse of going, God, I think I can trust you even when I don't understand. I think some wisdom is starting to come into my life because of that. Not because I'm wise, but because of that very thing. And, and, and I, I'd love to tell you, I told my family this weekend a story of, of that very thing, of just understanding that basic concept and then reading a proverb and having my head blown up with the brilliance of God. It was remarkable. It was God, this, this isn't just a moral imperative. Like, this is, this is smart. Like, you know what you're doing here. You provided something for me in this that I could have never seen by myself. Yes, amen. Where do we find folly? Well, here's what's interesting. We find folly in the high places as well. Oh, boy. She is also in the high places. Right? She's, she's up there. She's also in all the places where everyone is. She's in the marketplace. She's in the street. She's all over the place. So what's going on here? Well, what you have to know is that folly is an imitation of the real deal. That's what folly is. Folly is something that we really want and something that we really need, but it's counterfeited enough that it appears like it's what we need, but it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't follow through. You ever have someone who just breaks their promises all the time? After a while, you're just like, you know what? You're not going to show up on time. You've just, you've just not done that enough. I just don't believe you anymore. You just don't come through anymore. I have, been, I have been challenged so much by people who don't know Jesus. And I said, Trev, like, you say you're sorry, but it doesn't change. And I'm like, you're right. I, that's a problem. Where do we find folly? It's, 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 in, it's in all the places that we find wisdom. It's just counterfeit. You know what counterfeit is, right? Counterfeit doesn't make sense unless you have the real deal. How would you become an expert at a counterfeit, d distinguishing what's counterfeit and what's real? How, how would you do that exactly? Anyone? You compare it to the real thing, right? You know what the best training for a counterfeiter is? Studying the real deal. And if you study the real deal in detail, you will know instantly when you see a counterfeit. It will feel different. It will smell different. It will look different. And there's a lot of people that will go, well, I'd like to do that. How can you do that? Can, you know, can I take a class? No, you can't really take a class. You just have to handle the real deal over and over and over and over and over again until you just know. 
Okay, this is a metaphor for why we're pushing for you to get into the word. You cannot see the counterfeits in the world unless you handle the real thing over and over and over. And when you do, it will make perfect sense to you all of the counterfeits. You'll be like, man, I, look at that. That's false, 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 false. How, how exactly do you get to that point? You have to handle the real deal. Some of us actually, we'd like, we'd like to have wisdom. We're just not willing to handle the real deal. Uh, I am a budding fly fisherman. I've been at it for 26 years. Um, <laughs> still working at it. Now, I grew up about two miles or a mile, I think, from uh, a reservoir filled with a fish called northern pike. We called them jack. Um, they're actually northern pike is the official name. Uh, and it was bad training for trout fishing, fly fishing. <laughs> and, and here's why. Here's why. First of all, the biggest fish you catch in, in the winter, um, that, that should tell you something. Uh, you don't have to be sober in, over, in order to catch these fish. Uh, but really, northern pike uh, are simple to catch. You just have to act like woman folly. You have to be loud. Yeah, you don't even have to be seductive. I, I've caught it on like a miniature Budweiser can with a little lip and a huge treble hook in it. How? Because when it goes through the water, it does this. And a northern pike goes, mmm, food. A trout will never do that. I fly fish for trout because you actually have to be a fisherman to catch them. Am I right? Fly fisherman? It's very, you don't luckily get fish on a fly. You get it by knowing how trout work. And how do you do that? You do exactly what woman folly does. You, you go in the same places that you know they'll be. Right? Trout are, are they're, they're not necessarily smart, but they're extremely wary and they will, they will actually, like, efficiently sit in a perfect place in the river where they hardly, they have to use the least amount of energy in order to get the most amount of food. And so it's always where two parts of a river, two speeds of a river come together. It's called a seam, and they'll sit right there. And if you know what you're looking for, that's where you place your fly. And you know what? There's always fish there. You know what else you have to do? You have to imitate what they are presently eating, not what you'd like them to eat, when my kids go into the store, they're like, oh, this hook looks good. I was like, well, it's not about what you think it looks good. It's about whether the fish thinks it looks good. It, it has to act like the insect that's on top of. But you know what? It's not the real deal. It's an imitation. It's got a very sharp end to it. And fish find out very fast their decision-making abilities. When they take a bite. And sometimes they nibble because they're just not totally sure. This is a picture of woman folly. They're trying to lure you in. And you notice that she's sitting on the high places. She's trying to act like a deity. 
She's trying to do all of the things that a God would provide. And you know what? She's terrible God. She says, I'll give you pleasure. Turns out she gives pleasure now, but later she gives death. She looks like she's going to provide you with control, but turns out you lose all control. She, She provides you with freedom, but turns out she actually provides you with a prison and enslaves you. She doesn't come through. And you know what? Some of us are making the same mistake over and over and over and over again. That's tough on us, isn't it? I I, I don't think I've ever sinned in one area once. Unfortunately for me. Unfortunately, I don't learn what happened last time. And the Bible is saying, okay, do I have your attention now? Women wisdom is here. She's available. She's ready to apply to all areas of your life. She's not found in the dark, as it says in chapter, I believe, chapter 7. Wisdom is in the twilight, (laughs) which is kind of both a metaphor and like reality. It's like, I don't know if you've ever heard nothing good happens after 12. Ever heard that? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You heard things like that? No, it doesn't. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Uh, What happens on the Internet won't hurt anyone? Not true. Folly happens in the dark secret places. Do you know how many sins... If you just took away the secret factor, it wouldn't even exist anymore. Think about it. Not very many. That's where folly is found. Secret places. Dark places. Unseen places. Yeah, there's, there's a reason why that is a reality in real life. It's because it's this giant metaphor for God to say, that's not where I operate. How is the word described in John chapter 1 as light? Because darkness can't exist in light. Who is Jesus described as? Revelation, revealing, showing, not hiding. It's the opposite. So what are some of their qualities? Man, i got to rush here. I'm going to try and go back and forth between these two. And so you see here that wisdom requires a search, but foolishness comes easy. Oh, man, this is a good one for me. Wisdom requires a search, but foolishness comes easy. Our default position, or mine is, foolishness. And I am, uh, man, when, 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 when that hook is baited for me, it, it's like, it's impatience. It's now. You ever notice advertising? You listen to advertising for the theology that's there? You ever notice that the words now and free are really common in advertising? Not good or helpful? Don't pay now. Not true. Right? Free? Is it really free? Is it really now? 
Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find knowledge. Search like silver. Some of you found out there was a gold cache in your backyard. Do you think you would be here this morning? What would you be doing normally? You would be either buying a metal detector, hiring your children to dig up the backyard, or doing it yourself. I know you. I know me. That's what searching for God is like. It's more valuable than silver. It's more valuable than gold. You ever, some of us, okay, me, I'm pretty good at searching for a particular deal. Anyone? Anyone? Anyone like marketplace, Facebook marketplace, Kijiji, they're like, <laughs> you used two, two hours and seven minutes out of two hours and eight minutes today on Kijiji. Why? What am I searching for? I'm searching for a particular thing, and sometimes I'm searching for what I didn't know I needed. Okay. The one time I'll brag, I found a pair of shoes that I really wanted for a long time. And I found them at Value Village. And I found them and they weren't even used yet. Oh. No? <laughs> why, why did I do that? And someone asked me, like, how would you find those? And I, I actually said this word. It's a, it's a discipline. <laughs> what is it a discipline? It, it's a discipline of actually regularly going into the store, looking in the shoe rack. It's going into really good shoe stores and finding out what is actually good and quality so that I knew what I was looking for. And when I found them, I, I'm telling you, I mean, that explains it. I told everyone. I'll tell anyone that story. Now, I read this this week. That wasn't that fun for me to go, boy, if you search for wisdom like you search for those shoes, you'd probably be wiser. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's saying. It's a search. Some of you aren't finding wisdom because you do not get that it's a search. But folly's not a search. Folly just happens. She's so lazy, she doesn't even have her own place to go. She goes along the way of people searching for wisdom. You ever notice how it's like a shortcut is never the right decision? Have you ever noticed that? It's like, don't have to work. Make millions of dollars. Anyone ever made millions of dollars without having to work? Yeah. yeah. What a crock, eh? But we believe it. We believe it because we forget there's a search. Secondly, wisdom requires thought. Foolishness requires almost no thought. Chapter 4, verse 26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Chapter 5, 26 says, Folly does not ponder the path of her feet. So if you think of this journey and, and this walking along, they're not thinking about it. 
Ponder means to weigh out or to consider. I, I love this image uh, from Eugene Peterson, and that is he explained what the word meditate means, which is kind of another word for ponder. Uh, he was reading his Hebrew Bible for his devotions, which tells you how super spiritual he was. And he came across a kind of a, a, a paragraph that he found in, in the book of Isaiah where a lion had its prey between its paws and it was meditating on the carcass. And he said, what's fascinating is the Hebrew word, that was the actual Hebrew word for meditate. And then he used another metaphor to help make sense of this. He says, have, if any of you have a dog and you give a dog a bone, what that dog will do is probably find some quiet time in the heat of the day and it'll take that bone. Some of you know, I don't, I'm not a dog owner, but I still know dogs. And, and they'll take that bone and they'll go under a tree or in a quiet place out of the common path. And what will they do to that bone? Well, they'll eat everything that's edible on that bone. And you'll find it later, and there's nothing left to it. He has meditated all the meat off that bone. This is what it means to pursue wisdom. It's to take God's word and don't just read it. You chew on it. You gnaw on it until you got it. Which is why the third part that wisdom requires is time. You cannot get wise quickly. You must be in it for the long haul. It's like investing your money well. It's like learning a craft. It's like raising children or having a good marriage. It doesn't happen in a weekend. It happens over a long period of time. And one of my favorite words now is the word plod. It's plodding. Do you know what plodding is? You've probably heard that word. Did you know that plodding actually seems to originate from the mining world? Plod is a word that was used for miners. And what was it? It was, it was the whatever they used, the pickaxe or whatever. <laughs> Back in the day before dynamite, when you mined for things, what would you have to do? You'd have to plod. As Corey said, get that. Say hi for me. You over and over again hit the same place. Bam, bam, bam. That's why the word became common for laborious trudging. <laughs> if you plod somewhere, you do this for, for hours. Wisdom requires plodding continually. It's continual. Every day, every day, every day. Every day I'm in the Word. Every day I'm praying. Every day I'm in contact with my Savior. Every day I'm repenting of my sin. Every day I'm admitting I need wisdom. Every day I'm applying. Every day I'm thinking about it over and over and over again. And you know what it'll look like to everyone else? It'll look boring and laborious and like you're trudging and you're not getting anywhere. But I tell you what, the only way to break a rock like that in those days was to plod. Wisdom requires that. That's why there became a proverb. Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. So does it show up in your schedule? Wisdom requires humility. 
Foolishness promotes self. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. What's that saying? Humble people understand they've got more to learn. Foolish people think they've learned it all. I bet, I bet none of you have never run into someone who knows it all, eh? Never? <laughs> never work construction? This was the phrase we used to say. He knows everything, just ask him. Right? I have very little patience for people who repeatedly know everything. Because they don't actually know everything, and I get really bored of hearing them think that they, like, they know everything. But let's go back to the beginning again. You can't be wise if you at first don't admit that your wisdom isn't wisdom. That God's wisdom is wisdom. We have a word for this. It's called pride. Ever heard of it? Pride is not a correct view of yourself. It's an overinflated view of yourself. I looked up the word pride in the dictionary, and it is like this in really small print. Interestingly enough, self-esteem showed up. Self-esteem said an overinflated view of self that is not grounded in reality. Our world is touting it as a solution. The Bible says it's, it's a problem. C.S. Lewis says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you can't see something that's above you. Pride is a key here to understanding the wisdom-foolishness algorithm. Uh, we're, as a family, my family's here. Uh, <clears throat> we're learning a lot about cancer. Some of you know, my youngest brother has been diagnosed. Ah. Sorry. I didn't know this about cancer, though. Cancer is not actually the disease. Cancer is an overinflated growth of healthy cells. Cancer is when your body grows something and your body doesn't actually tell itself to stop. I didn't know that. This is why it's so hard to get rid of. There are, the, the other thing about cancer, and this is like, I mean, this is, this, is, this is God's brilliance in bringing out something out of something terrible. Some, many of you have experienced cancer. It's awful, right? But one of the most deadliest things about cancer is that it hides itself from itself. It hides itself from the body. So the reason why it keeps growing is because it pretends to tell the body something else. Nothing here. It's cells that are growing rapidly when they shouldn't. And when the body comes and says, ah, uh, hello, you're growing too fast, it says, no, we're not. It deceives itself. I was like, you can't make this stuff up. This is what pride does to us. It deceives us. It grows something in us that starts right but turns into death. 
Cancer kills. You do not beat cancer. It just is no longer in your body. But if it's in charge, it wins. That's what pride does to us. Pride is a cancer, literally. It will kill you, which is why, here's why we should care, is first of all, where does, what does pride attack? It attacks our heart. Pride attacks our heart. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, for wisdom will come into your heart. That's where the decision-making center that God designed you When he designed us, he designed the heart to be our decision-making center. And the heart, as described in the Bible, is not our emotions. It's a complete package. It includes our mind, our will, our emotions, and our head. Like our logic, our emotion, everything. It's all in one package. It's called the heart. And it says, that's where you get wisdom or you get foolishness. And so then it goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 23, what? Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Here's what the New Living Translation says. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. And the word there for guard is this prison security guard. Standing at... The front, going, uh, do you, are you authorized to be here or not? And, and some of us are like, we're trying to be wise. Meanwhile, we're leaving that door unguarded. We're letting all the filth come into our hearts, and then we're shocked that we're not wise. Like, remember this youth group kid? We're just, we're, we're letting the, the f- filthy wisdom of the world come in, and then we're trying to make decisions from that same place that are wise. It, it won't work. It won't work. We all have a digestive system, but if you feed your digestive system wine gums, you, you can't be a healthy person. No matter how healthy your digestive system actually is. Eve wanted me to use the word candy instead of wine gums, because she doesn't like wine gums, but I do. Yeah, it's my spirit animal. Above all else, guard your heart. Friends, how are you doing? Are you, are, are you guarding it? Here's the thing is, you, you need some help, and so let's finish off here. When we understand that, first of all, the heart is the decision-making center, then we will start to understand that foolishness is not giving us what we really want. In 324, it says, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Those who are wise sleep well. (laughs) I I think that's a metaphor, and I think it's not. Why don't we sleep? Because our brain is turning. What's it turning on? How am I going to make enough money? How am I going to talk to that person? You know when you sleep well? When everything goes right. Hard day's work, families together. There's a reason for that. In 128, he's talking about foolishness. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. You know, wisdom doesn't just show up all of a sudden when you really need it. You can't be foolish your whole life and then say, oh, I want to be wise, and it just shows up. In fact, it's kind of 
mocks you and goes, I told you, I told you, I've been telling you. Because foolishness never gives us the comfort that we want. It promises it, but it never gives it. Foolishness never gives us the security we want. It promises it, but it doesn't deliver on it. Foolishness does not give us the control we want. It takes away our control. It controls us. Foolishness does not give us the love that we want. It takes away our love. Foolishness does not give us the stability we want. It makes us so unstable. But wisdom, and if wisdom is essentially God, which it is, we have in Jesus Christ, who is wisdom as the Bible describes, comfort, security, no need for control, we got love, we got stability, and I just started. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ, who is all those things. He doesn't just provide them, he is them. Which is why the last thing that I'll say is that Proverbs says, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold on her. In the original story, we rejected the tree of life because we wanted knowledge. And if, if we would have been able to make the right choice, we would have been able to live forever. But the reality is because Jesus Christ is who he is, he says, I'll give you a do-over. You can choose the tree of life again. But the way's through me, he said. The way's through me. You cannot come to the Father except through me. You cannot be wise except through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to head into communion. And here's what I would say is that as I call the band up, as we take communion, we're reflecting on the death of Jesus Christ, but we're also re reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we're not just doing this to give ourselves a pat on the back like, hey, I have salvation. We're doing it as a way of refreshing our mind. Who am I following? This is a symbol that's given to the church not to differentiate between those who love God and those who don't, but it has an interesting way of doing that itself naturally. Meaning, if you don't believe this, don't take it. It's not going to help you. But if you do believe it, you get to celebrate it. And there should be joy in us as we partake in saying, I repent of my way. I'm following the wrong path even this morning, and I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't have to do that anymore because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so prepare your hearts that way as I pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, graciousness, and mercy that shows up in places that we don't expect, we repent and we want to repent more of all the ways we've chosen poorly and don't want to do that anymore. Show us your wisdom for your glory. Amen.